This is the Moira Pentecostal Church Podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2016. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Need to go tonight, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus' great Sermon on the Mount. And uh, these familiar verses in verse 25 and following. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more value than they? Which of you, can, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Why have God so clothed the grass of the field which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven? Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will, tomorrow will worry about its own things, Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I was reading in the paper this past week that 70 million pounds every year is spent on antidepressant tablets in Northern Ireland. 70 million pounds. It is the, the highest rate in any region of the United Kingdom. So it seems like we are a nation of worriers. We're a nation of people, it would seem, that gets anxious and frets. We all have a tendency to worry about things whenever they spiral out of control. We're inclined to panic. When things turn negative, we fret. What makes us worry and panic and fret. Why do we get anxious and low and overstressed and fearful? No doubt, I'm sure you could quote psychological reasons or physiological reasons or sociological reasons or economical reasons or all kinds of things with isms at the end of it. So is Christ wrong? to say that we should not worry? Is he asking more than we can do? The fact that he says it implies that we can stop it. I know we may say it is completely and utterly beyond my control. But Jesus said, do not worry. Worry. 
In fact, three times in these 10 verses, he says those words, do not worry. Once he said, why do you worry? Once he said, what good does worrying do? Now, it would be unwise of us, I suppose, to take any one passage in isolation. For if you did, you may end up thinking that God was uncaring, unfeeling, that he expects us to be impervious to pain and difficulty and hardship. Uh, and therefore, the loss of things like bereavement or divorce or redundancy or a broken relationship which all can be fairly traumatic and deeply troubling. Is Christ saying that, that that should have no effect on us? No, I don't think so. But regardless of those things, and they do happen, and they will happen, all of us face difficulties. All of us face troubling events which are very traumatic but nevertheless Christ still says to us do not worry why do you worry he said Elijah at his moments at the juniper tree he'd done everything he could he had risked everything, even his own life, for God on Mount Carmel. By his faith and his trust in God, he called fire down from heaven, slew the prophets of Baal with the sword. In spite of all of that, nothing seemed to change. And so he got very, very discouraged, very low in his spirit, because Queen Jezebel threatened to kill him. And so he ran all the way to Beersheba, as far as possible to get away from his trouble. Is that for me, David? <laughs> Is somebody looking at me there? And whenever he got there, he was in such a state, he was so low that he actually says, God, take my life. I'm finished. I don't even want to live anymore. I've had it. Now, I don't know whether any of you have ever been that low. Perhaps you have. Some of you may have got to that point where you thought, Lord, I would rather just be not here anymore. Take my life. So he had his moment. David had several moments. <laughs> several moments. I think of Ziglag when he was there and how that, that small army he had because he was on the run from Saul and they were living in Ziglag and they had gone from Ziglag, left their families, left their children, left their goods, left their homes, gone from Ziglag for a few days' journey to enter into a fight, came back again and discovered the Amalekites had taken everything 
burned their city, burned their homes, stole their wives, their children, their livestock, didn't kill them, but took them captive. And if that wasn't bad enough, when all of them began to cry and had finished crying, then the men threatened to stone him to death because they blamed him and his decision to leave Ziglag and go off. And so he had his moments. Absalom, his own son, wanted to steal his very throne. King Saul wanted to kill him and tried to on several occasions. Ahithophel, his closest confidant and friend, turned against him and took sides with Absalom against him. My own familiar friend, he says, lifted up his head against me. He lost a child and wept sore because of it. He lost his closest friend, Jonathan, who died in battle. And so David had moments when in the natural, everything possible that could go against him went against him. And it hurt. And it pained him. And he was sore. And he was vexed. And he was down and anxious and worried. Mary, the Bible says, a sword shall pierce your own heart also. <coughs> she felt pain when she saw what happened to her son. Peter Luke 22, 62, went out and wept bitterly. The lowest point of his entire life when he denied Jesus and then he realized what he had done and the floodgates opened and he wept bitterly. And yet, in all these men and women's lives, God was gracious, he was tender, he was loving, he was forgiving, he was merciful, he was compassionate. And he did that because he wanted them to rise up again, to overcome again, to conquer again, to be victorious again. He didn't leave them where he found them. So why do we get anxious? What is it that causes us anxiety? Because all of us has felt it. All of us, without exception, knows what anxiety and worry and dread and fear feels like. And yet that's the very thing Jesus addresses. That which is in our very innermost being, right in the deepest part of our heart. We talk about, we've all had those moments when our heart, we say our heart sank at the news we got. Sometimes it just came out of the blue and as soon as we got it, our heart sank. It just affected our innermost being. And that's the very thing that Jesus addresses in part of his Sermon on the Mount. So what causes that anxiety? A temporary loss of perspective. We see things from the earthly side not from the heavenly side. We see things from the manward side, but not from the Godward side. 
I said a temporary loss of perspective. Thank God it doesn't stay that way. But at the time, that's what happens. And we have a downward look instead of an upward look. Your upward look will help your outlook. But if our downward look is always down, then guess what? We're going to be down. And anxiety breeds anxiety. And it spirals into a black hole in our lives. And this is a thing that Jesus is trying to address. Whenever David was hounded by Saul, even though he knew he was the king, even though he knew that God's anointing had lifted off Saul and came on him, and even though he knew Saul's day was finished, even though he was continuing on the throne, and even though he knew that one day he himself would occupy the throne because that was God's promise to him. The prophet had told him so. But yet, he temporarily lost his perspective. And in 1 Samuel 28 and 1, he said these words, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. <laughs> as sure as guns iron, one day Saul's going to kill me. Now, in the natural, he'd have a reason to think that because Saul was trying to kill him. <laughs> and I mean, Saul had a great army. He had spies all over the country. And he actually physically threw javelins at him in the palace. So he had every reason and natural to believe that. One day I shall perish by the hand of Saul. But that was because he lost his perspective. And he was looking downward instead of upward. And he was looking manward instead of Godward. And he was looking earthward instead of heavenward. In 1 Samuel chapter 25, it's interesting. Uh, again, David, in one of the times he was hiding from Saul, and uh, he was in the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man who was very wealthy, Nabal. And, and Nabal had lots of sheep and goats. He had thousands of them. And they were grazing at Carmel. And David's men were there and, and protected the shepherds from any raiders or bandits and so forth. But then there came a time when, when David, knowing who these sheep belonged to and knowing that this man was very, very wealthy and could well afford to, to help him and feed some of his men... In verse 4 it says in 1 Samuel 25, When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him by name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shearers. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them. Nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. So David has been very respectful, and he's been very polite and mannerly in his approach 
And so when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. And Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? And so he knew exactly who he was because he knew he was the son of Jesse. In other words, uh, what does he think he's, who does he think he's talking to? That's, that's what he was really thinking. Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. In other words, he's on the run from Saul. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men when I do not know where they're from? So David's young men turned on their heels and went back, and they came and told him all these words. Then David said to his men, Every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. I'm talking here about a temporary loss of perspective. And David, in his great disappointment, in his anger, and in his pride, he saddled up 400 men to kill one man. And this is the one who, as a boy, killed the lion and the bear by himself. This is the one who, as a young lad, killed the giant Goliath of God by himself. But now he's lost his perspective. And now he feels the need to take 400 armed men against one ignoramus of a man, because that's what he was. And if it hadn't have been for Nabal's wife, Abigail, <laughs> who, knowing what her husband was like, he was a brute of a man. And she told David that. If it wasn't for her going out and meeting David and saying, Look, do, not, do not bloody your hands on him. It's not worth it. And that stopped him. He got his perspective back. And you see, just losing our perspective, even temporarily, can cause us to think and act and do things that would be out of character. A temporary loss of confidence. That can come when you feel nothing seems to work. We can't seem to fix this. Everything feels out of control. Do you ever have those moments when everything felt out of your control? You saw trouble coming and you couldn't do anything about it? Remember a few years ago, I was driving to Carrick, Fergus, to meet with a bunch of pastors we meet with regularly. It was, I think it was about this time of the year, maybe October, November, December, around about that time. It was kind of late autumn, midwinter, early winter. And <laughs> there's a part of the road which I've driven a thousand times because as well as going there, uh, I take that route to go to visit, my, went to visit my mother and my sister for years that way. And so I know it very, very well, but there's a part of the road where uh, you kind of go down a hill and then there's a humpback bridge, which is kind of a right-hand turn, and then up a hill. So I know it very well. And so that morning I'm going down and I knew my breaking point because I've done it a thousand times. And I got down and as usual, 
I tapped the brake, and lo and behold, suddenly you felt you were on ice. I don't know if you've ever driven a car on an icy patch or you aquaplane, and, and suddenly you have no control. And all the braking you're going to do is not going to work. And all the hanging at the wheel is not going to make any difference because it's just slowing down the road and you see that bridge coming and you have time to see it and you know you're going to hit it and there's not one thing you can do. Bang. And then you smack into that. And it's that feeling in that brief moment when everything is out of control and you know you can't stop it. You don't know what to do. And then you hit the buffers. When you lose your confidence, somehow you feel you've lost control. Nothing seems to work. Nothing, you can't seem to fix this because your confidence is shot. Elijah, when he eventually got to Beersheba, he sat under the Jupiter tree, Juniper tree, and he cried unto God. At that moment, he had no confidence. He was a mighty, mighty man of God, a miracle worker. He had just come from his greatest victory in his whole ministry. But right at that moment, his confidence was shot through. It just was gone. And he didn't want to face any more people or any more challenges or any more stuff. He just didn't want to do it. He had absolutely no confidence whatsoever. Jeremiah was the same. In, in Jeremiah uh, 20, <laughs> if you've ever felt low, I, I don't know if you ever felt as low as this man. In Jeremiah 20, in verse 14, he says, Cursed be the day in which I was born. Let the day not be blessed in which my mother bore me. Let the man be cursed who brought news to my father, saying, A male child has been born to you, making him very glad. And let that man be like cities which the Lord overthrew and did not relent. Let him hear the cry in the morning and the shouting at noon, because he did not kill me from the womb, that my mother might have been my grave and her womb enlarged with me. Why did I come forth from the womb to see sorrow and labor that my day should be consumed with shame? I tell you, he is, he is absolutely at a low ebb, isn't he? I mean, it's just, there's no confidence whatsoever in this man. This is the great prophet of God. This is the man that God raised up to the whole nation to be the chief prophet to the whole nation. And here he is cursing the very day he was born. Why? Because everything he prophesied was thrown back in his face. And they mocked him. And they beat him. And they put him in a pit at one time. And he had enough. And that's the same chapter where he says to God, I've had enough. I'm never going to speak in your name again. I just, I just can't do it anymore. I've had it. I'm done with it. But then he says, it was like a fire shut up in my bones. And he says, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't stop. I had to continue. And so sometimes our anxiety or worry or fear, sometimes we're depressed, sometimes it's because we have completely lost our confidence. Confidence in God doing something, confidence in ourselves. So what do you do? 
when you lose your perspective and you lose your confidence and you're worried and you're fretting and you're fearful and you're anxious, what do you do? Well, first of all, you refocus. You've got to refocus. Now, I have a nice pair of binoculars at home and sometimes if particularly maybe in the summertime, if you happen to be going on a long drive somewhere, I would uh, often take them with me, put them in the back of the car. You never know what you're going to see somewhere. But inevitably, when you bring them out, they've been lying about for a long time, kicking about, and you bring them out, first thing you've got to do is refocus them because you can almost guarantee they're out of focus. And even while you're using them, depending how far you want to see or how close you want to see, you've got to keep refocusing to keep the focus on what you need to be looking at. It's the same with the old glasses. Every two or three years, you get a letter from Specsavers. Come in, have your eyes tested, and you resist that. Those things is dear, you know, whenever you get these uh, varifocal things and all the rest of it, you think they're only 25 quid, do you go to get varifocals and you go to get this, that, and suddenly you're looking at 150, 200 quid. So you put that off. But then there comes a point, you, you refocus all you can, and it's down at the bottom of your nose, and it's the top of your nose, and the bottom of your nose, and it's all over the place, trying to focus all the time. But you've got to refocus. You've got to refocus to see what you're looking at. And that's what David had to do at Ziglag. Whenever they threatened to kill him, and he was at his lowest ebb, it says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. He thought to himself, I better refocus. This is bad. This is really bad. My wives, my children, all my army's wives' children, they're all gone. The Amalekites has taken them captive. Dear knows what's going to happen to them. I better refocus my thoughts. He had done all his crying. Now he's being threatened. So David encouraged himself in the Lord. And he took himself off and he says, Lord, do I go after these ones? Or do not? Do I pursue or do not? The Lord says, pursue. Go ahead. And he pursued. And he got them all back again. Every last one of them he brought safely back to Ziglag. But there was that moment when he had to refocus. He had to get that upward look rather than the downward look. He had to look Godward instead of manward. Had to look heavenward instead of earthward. He had to refocus. Asaph in Psalm 73 is a great picture of a man who lost his focus and had to refocus. He was the leader of the choir in, in the temple. They had 24-hour praise in the temple. He was in charge of everything. He was a deeply spiritual man. But somehow along the way in life, he lost his perspective, he lost his confidence, and he looked at the world and it seemed like, you read it in Psalm 73, it seemed like the world had it all. There's no pangs in their death, he said. Nothing ever seems to happen to them. Look how they prosper. 
So he's really feeling sorry for himself. And it came to a point where he had to refocus. And as you read through Psalm 73, you see the actual point. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Now here's a man who was constantly in the sanctuary of God. That was his job. So when he says, until I went into the sanctuary, he's not just physically meaning I went into, into the temple. I went into the sanctuary when I got my eyes on God. When I went to the place where I would meet with the Lord and I refocused my thoughts and when he did that, then he saw their end and he got his perspective back and he got his confidence back and he began to praise the Lord again. So refocus. Secondly, recall. Recall. Recall what? Recall your victories. Whenever David went to the battlefield that day to give sandwiches to his brothers and he saw what was really happening, this great giant Goliath of Gath who was threatening God's people, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I'm going to do something about this. Saul says, but you're just a, you're a stripling, you're just a lad. He's been a warrior from his youth and you're just a lad, you're just a shepherd boy. What did he do? He recalled his victories. He says, yes, and when I was just a boy, I killed the lion and the bear. <laughs> and this uncircumcised Philistine, <laughs> he'll be the lion and the bear too, because I'm going to kill him. He looked back on his victories, and he thought, well, if God helped me then, God can help me now. If I won those victories, I could win this victory. And so sometimes you have to recall the times when you had great victories in your life, when things looked difficult and black and dark and ugly, <laughs> and, but you won through. You fought that fight. You got the victory. You won that battle. You conquered. And you've got to look back at those things and remind yourself because what you're facing presently may be a big Goliath, but thank God you killed the lion and the bear. And now you can take on Goliath. So you've got to recall your victories. You've got, to, you've got to recall the times also when God met your need. Because all of us have needs that need it met. All of us, without exception, I'm sure, had times in our lives when we wonder, well, what are we going to do next? What's going to happen here? How am I going to get through this? So you need to look back at the times when you thought that then, but God got you through then, because he can get you through now. Psalm 103, 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. It's so easy to forget the benefits that he's given you in the past. David says, forget not all his benefits. Psalm 63, verse 6 and 7. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I rejoice. 
when I remember you on my bed because you have been my help. When you can't sleep because you're worried. It's difficult to do, I know, but sometimes you have to stop and say, Lord, I'm going to look back at the times when you met the need. When I didn't know what to do, I didn't know where it was going to come from, I didn't know what was going to happen next, but somehow, Lord, I trusted you and you met that need. You supplied that need, whatever it may have been. I love this verse in Jonah chapter 2, verse 7. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. (laughs) Notice that's implying that for a while at least he hadn't been remembering the Lord. His soul was sinking within him and he hadn't been remembering the Lord. But then, as we say, he caught himself on and he got his eyes fixed on the Lord and he lifted up his heart to God in his holy temple. Then you've got to think of God's promises. You've got to recall them. Isaiah 43, 2 and 3. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. What a promise that is. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able, but with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So you've got to refocus, you've got to recall, and you've got to have resolve resolve you got to resolve within your heart that you are coming through that you will win this battle that you will triumph that you will fight back that you will bounce back that you will not be defeated that victory will be yours you got to resolve that in your heart Micah 7, 8. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. (laughs) That's a great attitude, isn't it? When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. (laughs) How can you lose with an attitude like that? Amen. And then fourthly and quickly, as we finish, you've got to redirect your thoughts. You've got to redirect your thoughts. Therefore I say, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own things. You've got to redirect your thoughts, because that's where the battle is, isn't it? In our thoughts. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And Philippians chapter 4, which is so familiar to you, but let me just read it in closing. 
Philippians 4, verse 6, be anxious for nothing. See, there's the apostle Paul saying it too. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And if you do that, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Will stand guard around your hearts and your minds. Like soldiers on century duty. Will stand around your hearts and your minds. Finally, brethren... Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's anything, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Think hard on these things. Focus your thoughts on these things. Why is he saying that? Because there's tons of stuff that wants to come into your mind that want to absolutely beat you into the ground with worry and fear and fretting and anxiety. So you've got to think on these things. It's not easy. Sometimes you have to fight it, but you've got to think on these things. Be not anxious is the title of that message. All of this... We've got a fight on our hands. But if we can master how we think, if we can refocus and recall and redirect and do all of those things, then we will win this battle. We will overcome. We will be victorious. We will get through. We will conquer in the name of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you have asked us to do something that you feel is within our capability. And even if it wasn't, you would give us the strength anyway. So Lord, we thank you that whatever comes our way, there is a way through. Lord, you said, whatever comes our way, we will be able to bear it. We thank you for your grace and for your strength and for your word, for your spirit. We bless you, Lord, that your spirit lives within us each and every day and that we can overcome this world. You have given us faith overcome the world so we thank you for this Lord as we go into this week who knows what to face but we know you're ready there for us we know Lord that you are ready in our tomorrow and so we thank you for that what have I to dread what have I to fear leaning on the everlasting arms so, Lord, we're leaning on you today.
We're leaning in you tomorrow. We're leaning in you every day. And we're trusting. We thank you for the victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.